This morning in our, our 40 days of prayer, the Christian Missionary Alliance devotional that we've been loosely following uh, really talks about the theme of praying for, for people who are in distress, things such as <clears throat> uh, sickness, imprisonment, uh, you know, areas of, of, of you know, being hospitalized, whatever it might be, and, and also praying for those who minister to those who are in distress, like chaplains and, and pastors and others. So I thought, since the theme was about praying in distress or praying for those who are in distress, uh, it just took me to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <clears throat> when, we're, when we're facing times of distress uh, during the midst of this pandemic, whether it's the fact that you know, you've either had COVID or someone you love has had COVID or just our world is from, you know, our schools to businesses are so heavily affected by COVID. It's hard not to have a sense of a heaviness on our lives. Uh, questions of when will this end? When will, when will we be able to move forward? Linger in our minds. And then when you hear of things like a new variant coming along and uh, all of the issues with vaccination and different things like that, it's easy, to, it's easy to begin to experience distress. But in a way, life is filled with, with stress and pressure. And so it becomes really important as we want to be people who respond well in seasons of distress and in whom, because the love of God is in our hearts and, uh, and the Holy Spirit is in our lives, that there's a difference in our response to the, anyone else's in the world's response who doesn't have the presence of God in their lives. So what is it that is usually revealed in the midst of pressure or distress is your heart. And this really is, as we study God's Word, this is what God is always after. Whether God is uh, permitting or allowing something in your life, His purpose for whatever He allows, His purpose is for you to be able to see your heart. And what is your heart? Well, in the biblical sense, the heart is more than just your emotions. The heart is really the control center of your being. It's, it's your mind, it's your emotions, it's the decision-making decision ability that you have. It's the, it's the truest expression 
of not only your deepest commitments, but it's where you hold things close, where you hold things dear, where you have valued things and you say, this is, this is what I trust. Now, think through this because a lot of the issues of the heart are things you haven't like consciously said, I trust this. But either over time or in conclusions to experiences, these are the beliefs you have come to that you say, these are the things that I can count on. These are the things that have worth and value. The heart, in a way, is like the vault of truth in your life. It's where your truest trust and then your deepest commitments come from. And this is what God is after. Because what he wants to do is not to have you stay static and and have a limited capacity of heart. He wants to enlarge the capacity of your heart. He wants to restore even the places where you've killed your heart or hardened your heart. And he wants to reinforce and to awaken, even in the most distressful of times, to awaken the passions of the heart and then the visions that he has for you. Passion for his glory vision of God himself realized in your life. This is why, I mean, in a way, Paul says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. You know, that's more than just being able to see with physical eyes. It's being able to really see the glory of God, to see what has worth and value. So out of the heart come these emotions. Emotions is not all the heart is. It's your deepest beliefs, but you see those deepest beliefs react to reality or to the circumstances of your life. And the emotions are the true expressions where you can see what your deepest you know, held beliefs are. For example, if somebody says to me, I trust God implicitly, but they're anxious all the time, their emotions betray that, that the trust mechanism of their heart is broken. They can say they trust God, but in reality, they trust their own control. They trust their own knowledge or their own ability to make things happen. And so emotions are diagnostic. They're, they're telling us what our deepest beliefs are. Um, and so then if what I believe is true then what I feel will align with that truth. And the opposite is true. If, I, if what I believe is a lie, then it will align with that lie. And so what we, what we see in Psalm 23, and why Psalm 23 is such an important psalm, is that David is looking over his life. And he's looking over the, not only his own life, but he's looking over the experiences of God's people. I said this in one of our devotions in the past, is that sometimes our memory is too short. We only think of our own life. And what the scriptures tell us is that we have a memory that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And that the experiences of God's people and the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God and all of those stories of his grace and his saving work, those are our stories. And we're to remember that God has a long history of saving his people and showing mercy in the midst of distress. So there are these specific promises that David unfolds in Psalm 23. And, and here's the thing. 
Our faith doesn't make the promises true. Our faith can embrace those promises because they are true. And then when your faith is based and and this deep heartfelt belief is based on the truth, then you can walk in victory in any circumstance. But if the, the opposite of trust is appearing, the circumstance is not producing it. The circumstance is revealing that there are things in your heart that neither need to be uh, you know, repented of. They need to be gone. You know, They need to be sent away, verbally rejected. So David makes a promise that, that God is the God who in every distressful situation will meet all your needs. Um, in a way, there's a difference between saying, oh God, please, please, please meet my need, and the confidence of coming and saying, the Lord is my shepherd, he will meet my needs. The one is, the one is allowing the distress to overwhelm you so that now you're begging for what God has already promised. And the other is facing the hardship of distress, but saying, God is my shepherd. That's a, see, that's a declaration. It's a, in a sense, it's a doctrinal declaration, but it's a truth declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> Jesus even said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I call them by name. So David is saying here, What Jesus fulfills is that the promise of God and the presence of God are our security in every circumstance. You know, David is using this shepherd motif because because he knew these things. He understood these things. He understood as a shepherd the ends that he would go to to make sure his sheep would be be, uh, protected and their needs would be met. Now, of course, there's some sense here that if you're unwilling to come under the good shepherd, and, and, and in a way, this is, if you think about Jesus' teaching on prayer, that the petition goes, your will be done, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a, there's a submitting to the will of the good shepherd, of believing even if you don't understand what the shepherd is doing, that he his will is what you submit to. Jesus himself modeled this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't silent about it. He didn't just accept it without talking it through with his father. But then he said, he does accept and he does submit. In other words, you don't have to play like something's not bothering you when it is. You don't have to play like you're not fearful when you are. Number one, the good shepherd already knows what your real emotions are. But you do have to come to that place that the, that the final place of rest is to get to the place where your will must be done. His will must be done, not yours. And so what... You know, in a way, what we're looking at when David says, you know, he leads me by still waters. Well, that's, that's, that's the, like the easy seasons of life. Oh, you're a good shepherd. It's good, easy to say good shepherd when the water is still. 
But then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and what, what David is saying is, is that God's will can be found in both. The seasons by still waters in green pastures and the seasons when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even the seasons, as David says, that there is a time when God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. In a way, I can never think of that passage. He prepares a, a place for me, or a table for me in the presence of my enemy, and my cup overflows. I, I can't think of that without thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that going to the cross, that was a prepared place for Jesus, a place where he would become sin for us, a place where he would be forsaken and rejected so that we would never be forsaken or rejected. And, and it's really and truly, it's, it's his anointing that flows in our life that gives us overwhelming and supernatural power to overcome. But it only comes if, one, you begin to submit to the good shepherd and his plan for your life. And then, two, that you begin to say, his promises are more powerful than my fear. His promises are more powerful than my distress. I will hold on to his promises in the difficult times. And so David is also giving us a, a beautiful promise here where he says, he restores my soul. You know, the, the lingering effect or the ongoing distress can little by little uh, dilute, diminish, even destroy your strength. And so what, what the promise here is, is not that circumstances are going to restore your soul or a change and, and we're out of the pandemic will restore your soul. The truth is you can, you can go through distress and the distress can be over and you can still be living in the pain and the emotions and the, the fear of that. You can do it for the rest of your days. Your, your brain has an incredible capacity to remind you about pain. So it has to be that it's much more of an intimate thing where it's not that I'm restored because my circumstances change. I mean, I'd be restored even if my circumstances change. But I'm restored because God is restoring. You know, I love that, that verse where it says he, can, he restores what the locusts have eaten. You know, the idea is that God, even in our losses, that God can do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Job lost so much in such a short a period of time, and yet he was restored with a double portion. Um, you know, David is a king who has broken every commandment of the book. And there is a hearkening back in these biblical uh, Psalms. There's a hearkening back to his, to his, uh, his ancestor, Jacob. Jacob broke every, <laughs> every command in the book. Jacob was a, a deceiver, a manipulator, and yet it was Jacob who wrestled with God, and it was Jacob who would not let God go until he blessed him. And then Jacob, being blessed by God, had a blessing to give to his children and his grandchildren. You know, David and Jacob were twisted. 
They were broken. And in both of their lives, God had to break through. God had to bring something out in Jacob and in David that life itself or just their personality would never have had the capacity for. And so David was one who submitted to his shepherd even when he had fallen. And it was he who restored David's soul. Now, the restoration involved confession, repentance. But here's David saying, he, the good shepherd, restores my soul. The third promise, again, this is such a fascinating one. And it's, he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But it, it, it presupposes a couple of things. One is that you're choosing, again, that heart choice. You're choosing to walk in his way. This is one of the things that happens in distress is we start to see in ourselves little, little detours away from God, detours away from trusting God, places of unsurrendered uh, desires, unsurrendered sources of life. And so pressure tends to reveal whether we delight in pleasing God or whether we're just doing it out of fear and out of pride. Listen what he, he says, even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness. That's, that's really the literal translation, the deepest of darkness. And of course, the deepest of darkness is death. But the idea is, in a sense, is that, that, that lingering sense that I don't know what to hope for. I don't know what's ahead. I'm in a troubled time. Or I'm ministering to people in a troubled time. I'm praying for others, family members, loved ones, friends, in a troubled time. And here he's saying, even in those days, I will... I keep my eyes fixed on the path the Lord has for me. I don't know if you've asked this, but maybe uh, Lisa and I many times in our prayers together and our, our thoughts together, we're saying, Lord, what do you have for us in the midst of all this? And what's ahead for us? What do the next few years look like? In the last six years, we've had major uh, health issues. My heart bypass my wife's cancer and you ask the question lord we know that you have not left us you've not forsaken us but how do we follow you and follow you well in these periods of time and and the thing is that what david's talking about is that even though you have these fallen times in your life you have these stumblings you don't if you stumble a thousand times you get up a thousand times if you see brokenness in your heart, you don't run from God. You run to the one who restores what, what the locusts have eaten and restores what is broken in you. And when there are times of deep darkness, whether it's facing death or just facing sickness or uncertainty, there's only one way to face our fears and because there's only one who can calm our fears. And he's the one who gives a promise in Psalm 23 through David, gives a promise of preservation. The table is set for you, even in the presence of your greatest enemies, sin and death. God 
who himself would not allow you to be lost to sin, had his own son become sin, enter into death, blow out the back door of death, and lead you right through into eternal life. Your head, David says, in the midst of your enemies, are anointed with oil, and your cup overflows. Again, it, everything depends on where the source is coming from. This is why a prayer life is so essential, even in times when you're not in distress, so that you begin to grow and increase those faith muscles, so that when you are in distress, you know how to sit at the table that the Lord has prepared for you, instead of trying to do it yourself. One of the worst things I see in most Christians is prayer is their last resort instead of, you know, their first strategy for facing distress. And when you, when you have no faith muscles, when you have not prayed over the little things, friends, it becomes almost impossible to pray through the big things. My mentor in prayer used to say, we want million dollar answers for nickel prayers. You have to build your prayer life at every stage of your life so that you're prepared for the big uh, events of your life. But here's, here's how he closes the promise of Psalm 23. You may think it's you pursuing God. You may think that when you're praying, you're pursuing God. You must understand your prayers are not the first word. The first word has always been God's. But the beautiful first word of Jesus was coming to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is David's first word from God. You notice what he says. The goodness of God is pursuing you. It's chasing you. So you may think you're chasing God. You're chasing him when you pray. You're chasing his goodness, his grace. But the truth is his goodness and mercy have been following you, pursuing you all the days of your life. See, when we in distress come to God, we are in the presence of the one who loves us so passionately, so intensely, that sometimes his love is hard for us as human beings to contain. When God starts pouring out his love, sometimes you think, I don't know if I can handle this. The intensity of God's love and passion for you is even greater and therefore, in some ways, more overwhelming than the intensity of his holiness. You either lean into that intensity of his love in times of distress, or you will run from it. That's how intense, that's how even frightening in some ways, the way that God loves us. Is his love is not like our love. His love is pursuing us even when we're running from him. And in some ways, to say it pursues us, says we're running from him. So the pronouns in this entire psalm are very personal. They're singular. It's not the Lord is our shepherd. It's the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, this is about your personal trust. This isn't about our corporate trust. This is about, are you at that place where that mechanism, that heart, that control center of your being says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is my place of greatest trust. Well, let me put it in a, in a practical way. What happens then? And, and this is where you really see 
not just the words of trust, but the reality of your trust is what happens when you come in, in your circumstances, in your situations, you come to the end of your own power to shape things or make things go your way. This is what usually reveals our trust. So here's the thing. So sickness comes in your life. Death comes into your life. Loss, injustices. I mean, these are things that happen to everyone, or at least most everyone. And the question is, how will I respond? So at some stage of your life, and usually many stages of your life, you're going to see the limitations of your power. And sometimes it won't just be because something's hurting you. It might be even more so because it's hurting someone you love, a, a child, one of your children, or a spouse, or a family member, or a close friend. And you'll say, I have no power to make this happen. For example, when, uh, when Lisa, uh, we found out she had cancer, she had a tumor that you know, was so big and, and was really causing a lot of pain and a lot of, you know, could have caused death. Well, I have no power to take that on. I have no, I have no way to just in my own power to begin to, to take that away from her. So when you come to that place, you have, you have, then your heart is revealed as to what you trust. So if you do not trust God as your good shepherd, then you're going to find alternative sources of power. And those alternative sources of power are, are anger, fear, anxiety, worry, some form of anger or fear or anxiety, frustration. And what will happen is, is often... You'll go into manipulation, you yell, you'll scream, or you go into manipulation and you withdraw and you harden your heart and you close yourself off and you just try not to care or, or actually you harden your heart to where you do not care, you're numb. I mean, I've seen it so many times when people come to the end of their real power to make someone do what they want them to do. They pout, they sulk, they throw a temper tantrum, they explode. All of those are indicators of what you trust. Please, please understand this because if if we don't get this right, we lose our power and we give ourselves over to illicit and counterfeit power, which actually gives access to the enemy. God is setting a table for you in the presence of your enemies, but he's not giving your enemies access to your heart. You do it. And so when we come to this place, and we have to remember that though we feel powerless in and of ourselves, that's the moment that we most must trust the one who has all power. It's at that moment that the results and the outcomes have to be yielded and surrendered to God. Lord, how will this end? I don't know, but you know, and you're the good shepherd. And you, you meet my needs and you lead me in paths of righteousness and you prepare a table and your goodness and mercy is chasing after me all the days of my life. If, if you could look at it this way, when you come to that place and you're facing something, sickness, injustice, you're facing something of distress, the, your own battery is dead, like a car battery, it's dead. But you have the jumper cables to the living battery, to the living God. The Holy Spirit, through prayer, is connecting you to his power. You see, you don't have power 
but you have authority. And so if you trust the one who does have power, you will connect in prayer and you'll give him your distress and you'll give him the outcomes and you begin to speak not from your own power and your own agenda, but you'll begin to cry out to the Lord because he's given you permission to use his name. You know, not a single disciple had the power to cast out demons, but in Jesus' name, they cast out demons and sick the sick were healed just as if Jesus had done it himself. That's what authority is. It's permission to use his name. And you see, you can't use that authority if you don't know your shepherd. If you just start saying, I bind this and I loose this, and you don't know your shepherd, then you don't understand authority because it's not your power, it's his. It's delegated to you, so therefore it's always about accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, not what you want to accomplish. That's why even Jesus in Gethsemane said, not my will, but yours be done. See, unless there's a yielding of the outcome, then you're trying to lead the shepherd instead of letting the shepherd lead you. But you see, if you will bring this dead battery and let the, you know, let the cables clip on, the living ca- the cables uh, of a connection of prayer, connection of the Holy Spirit to the life of God, you're not a dead battery anymore. You begin to be charged but it's authority. It's authority, not power, not your personal power. And then you see, connected in that way, yielded in that way, your dead battery to his living battery, connected by the, the cable of prayer and faith and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then what happens is you begin to operate in him with all his resources. You see, it's not the norm for us to live in defeat. It's not the norm for us never to be able to overcome the mountains in our life. But a dead battery will not get your car up the hill. You have to connect. And you have to connect not just when you're desperate. You have to learn to maintain the connection. He's a... These are powerful times that we're in. I don't know what the end will be. I don't know how it all shape out. But I know in the midst of the valley of the deepest darkness, the Lord is my shepherd and he provides for everything that I need. But in this time, I must exercise faith. I must pray with authority in the power that God supplies because I'm connected. My dead battery is connected to his living battery. Would you connect today? And there are people who need our prayers, who need us to get get our own lives in alignment so that we can pray with authority for those who are in great need. Today, the focus of the CMA is on people that have great needs, those who are sick, those in prison, and those who minister as chaplains and others You know, today is the day if your battery is connected to the living battery, you don't just have authority to pray for yourself. You have authority to pray for every person God assigns to you and his power flows from him to you to them.
Would you pray with me about this? Lord, there are moments in our life where we really see a dead battery. We see that we can't make COVID go away. We see that we can't make the economy safe. We can't make the politics safe. But in those moments, instead of cursing our dead battery or cursing the world that revealed our dead battery, in those moments we realize we have these cables that connect us to a living battery, that you've given us permission to use your name even in the way you yourself healed the sick, cast out demons, uh, brought about things that were big in a very short amount of time because of your connection to the power of God. And now you have said the things you do, we shall do. So Lord, today we take our dead batteries, we present them to you, And we connect them by the cable of our prayer life, exercising our faith, knowing that you have given us the very life of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, and that our lives do not have to be simply dead batteries, but rather connected to the living, the living hope, living life, living power of Almighty God. We connect today, and we connect not just for ourselves but for those that you're assigning to us to pray and to pray with authority. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.